Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Mike Fiorenza. He's a CEO at Bundren. Bundren is a painting and drywall construction business. So Mike, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely, anytime. So, I mean, I could start in many different directions, but I see all those guitars in the background in, in the room and I have to ask, what's the story uh, with, with that hobby there? 34, 35 years playing guitar. Everybody is working from home. I really think that uh, it's interesting because for me, I, I didn't think twice about this. You know, guitars are hanging on the wall. This is my home office slash home studio. And I've been having meetings and everybody's immediately on that going, that's fantastic. And it actually, I started thinking about it. I'm on all these web calls and video calls and you're looking at people's personal lives when they're working from home. I mean, you can see their kitchen, you can see their their office, you can see their backyard, what their house looks like if they're sitting outside. And I think it's given actually, if you're in tune to it, you're actually paying attention to what makes the people the people. And it's, it's actually spawned some really good conversations. So I've been playing for years. Business, if you want a good business analogy, sure. there's a lot of guitars up there and they sound, they all sound different, right? Mm, so yeah. the reason why you have guitar, different guitars is because they all sound different. But I'm really a bassist. I've been playing bass longer than I have guitar. And there's only one bass hanging up there. Yeah, yeah. And that's because you you have to be fluid. You have to be able to make yourself sound how you need to sound or how the melody works or the rhythm works. And it's a good business analogy because in my role, in the COO role, I'm the bassist. I'm tying the rhythm to the melody. And I've got to play that middle role there and make sure that both sides are successful. Mm. It's literally what I am, what I do. Mm. So I guess you need to be more all around to do what you do. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, you, in your current role, you started off as a project manager and you kind of shot up to COO. What was that path like? I've owned my own business in the past. So I, I understand the challenges of owning a business. Even as a project manager, running projects, treating the business like it's your own is a different mindset than somebody that's just coming in and doing the job. So I want to see people succeed. I want to see the business succeed. I want to see the business get to the next level. And I'm not going to make decisions that are going to impact it. Because if, if I approach it as I'm in, this is, while it's not my name on the business, I am responsible for the outcome of the business. So if I'm treating it like it's my own, I'm going to pay more attention to it. I'm going to have more, more attachment to it, if you would. Yeah. So is that something you try to teach or hire against? That's a really good question. I've been attempting to hire a few positions that, yes, we want them to think, think like owners. We want them to be integral part of that team that is making decisions to move, move the ball, to get, make the advancement, looking for driven people. If you don't have that drive and you don't have that internal 
almost conviction, you're not going to succeed on a team like ours. We're pushing hard. We're driving hard and we're, we're making a lot of changes. Yeah. So I, I know you have a construction background, but you also have a culinary background. Tell me about that. I do. I, my, my first degree was Culinary Institute of America and I went to school in Hyde Park, New York. I'm from the Northeast actually. So moved down to Texas in 2009, work, work related. And then in the Northeast, working in residential and light commercial, if you didn't have a big job going on through the winter, you basically didn't have a lot of work going on because it's kind of hard to, to frame or to drywall when it's cold outside. So I always reverted back to working in the kitchens. And parents with degrees and saying, hey, you need to get a degree. I said, well, I do construction and I cook. <laughs> so we'll do cooking, right? So we went to cooking school. Over the last 20 years, what I've learned is everything that's applicable in managing a kitchen mm. is applicable in managing almost any business, right? So kind of like the guitar analogy and the bass analogy, if you're managing a kitchen, mm-hmm. you have raw material and you've mm-hmm. got to source that raw material and you've got to store that raw material and it has a life cycle. Uh, you've got to worry about spoilage or threat, theft. You've got to worry about cost control and budgeting. So everything that you're doing to manage a carrot is the same thing as you're managing a two by four in construction, right? So it, it, all of this business management, it cross populates between industries. And that's why another one of my things is when I'm looking for talent and when I'm trying to hire, I'm not so locked on the fact that I'm trying to hire this for this specific role because I've had enough experience in the past that these three qualities, this can be trained but these three qualities can't be trained. And if you have them, maybe you're even better in this role because you can pick up this real quick. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Now, what's your, what's your signature dish? <laughs> I, don't <have> one. <laughs> I don't have one. I'm a horrible cook, so I, I'm always impressed with uh, people that, that can cook. But what do people appreciate most or what, what do you get the most requests on? I actually cook Thanksgiving every year and I'll cook Christmas. I really, I'll, I'll just barbecue grill or smoke nowadays to, to be entirely honest my wife is my wife is a better cook than me so and, and she's not formally trained so <laughs> talent, talent talent absolutely absolutely that's awesome now i mean your day-to-day ceo i mean what what sort of projects what sort of things that you deal with on a day-to-day basis i deal with a lot of people issues day-to-day obviously we we are coaching and guiding and and directing a field of craft workers. And while we have project management and intermediary management in place to delegate and to deal with tasks, I focus more on, are we in budget? Are we running on schedule? Are we building our people? Are we training people? If it's conflict management, okay, why did that happen? Let's get into it. And also I spend more time coordinating and coaching department heads in my day-to-day. So I have a controller, a chief estimator, project managers, you know, and then the HR. But I spend more time with them individually dealing with their overalls and giving guidance than actually completing any, t- any type of task. Yeah. I-, I learned that I have to, I can only schedule three or four primary things a day that I have to get done. Because the rest of it's curveballs coming in all the time. So. <laughs> you got to leave room for the curveballs, I guess. Then. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
That's a good tip. Now for coaching, is it a formalized schedule, an open door policy? How do you sort of manage your load there? I absolutely have open door. I mean, if anybody needs to come talk to me, come talk to me. I do schedule weekly one-on-one 15 minutes. I actually block half an hour in the calendar, mm-hmm. but I, I schedule weekly 15 minute one-on-ones with my direct reports. It's their time to go over items that are, that, that are concerning them. It's their time to complain, vent, give us a new idea, say, hey, we're doing this wrong. I want to try it this way. We give them a lot of, a lot of leeway because we're hiring them to do the job. If I, I'm not there to do their job. I'm there to, to make sure they're successful in their job. And part of that is letting them do their job and knowing when to back off and just let it, let it happen. But they need their time, not in a team environment, to be able to go over items and, and say, I don't like this, or I'm having a problem with this. I'm big on personal development. So that's part of it as well. I've adopted, I actually learned this from another podcast. I adopted a uh, stop light, traffic light mentality of the meetings. So it's like red light, yellow light, green light. So this is what we need to stop doing. This is what we need to think about. And this is what we need to continue or, or build on. And it's a quick five minute thing. Nice. And it sets the tone for the rest of that meeting, and then it's fantastic. But we've we've made some really good progress. We've hired some really good people, though, as well. Yeah. So give me a rundown on how that would look. Give me give me an example. Give you an example, as in, yeah, like green light, yellow light. Like, is the you you have your one on one, and you're you're talking about the green light, yellow light, red light. How how's that work? Is that coming from you? Is that like a back and forth? It's a back and forth. It's a back and forth, but it's it's more directed from me, if that mm-hmm. would be. So let's let's talk about training. So we're we're talking about a training scenario here, where trying to figure out why we haven't moved enough people or haven't gotten enough sign-offs in the field over the last quarter. Yep. And I'm asking questions of why why is that happening? Okay, well that brings out the facts that hey, we we neglected to do a few things or we got too heavy on a couple other things. Okay, well, I want you to stop doing all these things, but I want to go in here and I want to think about these and then see what happens. These were successful. Let's go with them and let's build on them. So it's more about an asking a question and helping guide into that position. It's amazing how many people just, it's funny, you read it in all the business books, but it's true. I don't need to tell somebody to go from A to B. If with a couple questions, they can figure out they need to go from A to B. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What what sort of information or dashboarding do you use in your organization to sort of keep people sort of aware of what's happening? So we have a weekly meeting, a weekly management team meeting, executive team meeting, and we have I have a weekly executive meeting. So it, it kind of flows downhill. Yeah. So the owner of the company, Craig Bundren, he and I meet once a week. We meet intermediately at intermediate intervals throughout the week as well, but primarily once a week we sit down and just close the door and it's an hour. And then we go over issues of his concerns, issues of my concerns, where, where I need to be working on. And then I funnel that down and start adjusting and directing team members. We have scorecards for our individual roles. I work more of a hybrid system, if you would. Not, mm-hmm. it's, not a scaling, it's not a scaling up system and it's not an EOS system. <laughs> yeah. And it's not KPI. It, it, it's hey, here's the company's annual goals. This is where we're going to be three to five years from now. This is where we're going to, this is what we've got to crush in 2020. Yeah. Now I want my department heads 
to tell me what they need to do every quarter to achieve that annual goal. And then they're going to take that objective and move forward down and send it down into their scorecards so that their direct reports are actually accomplishing those tasks and then they track it. We're actually in the middle of a migration, moving away from uh, physical hardware and getting into more cloud. And we're implementing Teams as well as Microsoft Dynamics 365. And I will be utilizing Planner in that so that I have scorecards in there for my department heads and all of that's visible in a dashboard. It'll also be tracked in Teams so my entire organization can see it. We've got a consultant working on that in the background. We're hoping to be up and running in about two and a half, three weeks. Yeah, that's very cool. Within the systems that you implement, is there anything unique that stands out that you you do or your organization does that you don't see very often everywhere else? I want to say this is tricky because we're in the middle of a rebrand and we haven't ah. we haven't unveiled anything yet. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we're we're entirely rebranded. We've been in business since '84. Yeah. Technically, Craig is third generation. If you really want to get down to it. Yeah, yeah. And we've been doing new construction and remodeling and repainting markets for years. But there are segments within those markets that we are actively going out and targeting that required hiring an outside sales guy and making a couple key moves to get it going. But we're going to be running a parallel business model that's launching over the next quarter. So I can't give too much away, but it's got some, it's got a couple big items in it that nobody else is doing. We've teamed up with a marketing marketing company and we're really we're really gonna push the needle on this one. No, it's really good. You talk about branding. Not every company in the, the construction sort of sector focuses on that as much. What is your understanding of building a great brand? You have to in order to build a brand you have to, you have to have something there, right? So one of our, we're in commercial construction and commercial construction goes from small two guys in a truck to huge multi-million dollar organizations, billion dollar even if you want to get into it. It covers a wide, wide spectrum. Our brand is us, right? So we compete in a very narrow area of that spectrum. If our guys are showing up and doing the right thing all the time, and we're consistently putting out a quality product, part of the community, I think those are the three pillars that you need to build a, build a brand on. It doesn't matter if it's construction or something else. I mean, if you, if you don't have those three, you're not, you're not doing much. A lot of it is media and marketing. A lot of it is the way things look. And there's a lot of science to all of this that goes on in the background that I honestly don't, don't understand most of it. And that's what the marketing pros are for. <laughs> they, they isolate it. They tell you what you, need to, what you need to tweak, what's good, what's not. And then you go get it. It's a message. It, it really, it's our message. It's, it's conveying what we do every day. It's conveying the value that we give to our clients. It's conveying the fact that we are adding color and we're adding beauty to an environment that wasn't there before. Or we're bringing a vision to life. So be it an architectural or an artist's vision to life. We're the ones that are taking a blank canvas and creating that. So our branding is a quick little summary of us, of what we do every day. 
and it, it there's a long way around that but when you really get down to it i mean it's we paint stuff and make it beautiful right we add the color where there was no color we one of the things we like to say is we're the artists that bring large-scale architectural media to life buildings are continually getting more advanced more architecturally driven more abstract they're using brighter colors they're using more open space it's an evolving industry yeah yeah i guess part of sort of understanding who you are is you must have a very well-defined type of customer that you you can help really well like maybe it's a certain size how do you guys think about segmentation with sort of your market what do, you, what do you mean? Can you can compound on that? A company size or this or that? Like there must be, you guys are a certain size, you know, established. So is there a certain sort of project size or like how, how do you guys sort of segment or do you guys where's segment? Our, where's our sweet spot? Yeah, we, where's your sweet complain? spot? That's a good one, yeah. Okay. We do a lot of it. We, we, we cover a big gamut. We'll go paint for good clients, clients that are long-term we'll show up and paint one door or we'll come up and do one patch or we'll, we'll, you know, we'll send somebody out to do it. That's not a business model that we can sustain long-term doing for everybody because, you know, as you get bigger, obviously your overhead is higher and you have more, more built-in costs into the burden. But for a client that we've had for years, we'll show up and we'll do anything they ask. Basically we compete in, I want to say, the medical space, the K through 12 space, the luxury mid and high rise space, office high rise space and mid rise, you know, any medical MOBs. We work with a lot of property management companies. We do a lot of specialty products for property management companies. When you're dealing, we deal with new construction differently than we deal with remodels. New construction, and you, as, as you know, it's all specification driven. It's, it's value driven and, and you go. The remodels is you're solving a problem. Yeah. So you're either you're either refreshing an area or you're there to solve a problem. We like to pride ourselves on being very good at access and very good at really drilling down and solving your your problem. You can chase symptoms around all day, but if you're not identifying what the real problem is, you're not gonna you're not gonna be successful. We've had jobs where we've walked in and proposed access savings that Clients didn't know were available, and you can save them twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars on access alone before you even get into the product side. Yeah, yeah. So we're our niche market in new construction is basically we'll run anything from ten, fifteen thousand up to two million. In the remodel space, we look and we target more of a one to six month window. We're looking at right now, we're trying to fill, make sure that we have consistent work in the remodel area from one to six months. Because the long new construction, we're paint, right? So you've got to build the building first. Mm-hmm. And that could be next year by the time we get the paint in. So we're creating a backlog over time with new construction and we're utilizing the remodel markets to fill in. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I always wonder how companies approach keeping their business within a sweet spot for most of the time and how they deal with deviations or how how loose they are with those deviations is that a formal process for you guys or is it kind of a ongoing sort of review type of common sense kind of process it's an ongoing review it's also a 
constant challenge. It's always a challenge. We sat, we sat with a vendor actually yesterday and they were talking about getting us to travel again. And we just finished up jobs down in South Texas. We're in Houston. We're based in Houston. Yeah. We just finished up jobs down in South Texas, out in El Paso, out in Pecos. And when you get spread out like that, your management style has to change. You've got to adapt. You've got to send resources out. You've got to be constantly fluid. And we sat with the vendor yesterday and they were talking about travel. And Craig and I kind of looked at each other. We're like, yeah, no, <laughs> there's, there's enough work in Houston. We don't need to go chasing all over the country, right? <laughs> but put us on the list. You never know. There might be one that shows up in Houston or the surrounding area and we'll go after it. We like the hard projects. We like the ones that people, we like the difficult ones, the namesake ones. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So you like the namesake ones for, I guess, the exposure or just they're difficult or what do you like this? A little bit of both, a little bit of both. We like the exposure. We like going out and doing intricate jobs. We've got phenomenal craftsmen that work with us. I mean, we've had craftsmen in this company for 18 to 20 years. They're some of the best out there. When you get to put them on a project that they've never done before, Mm. they get excited, right? And you're hyping it up. Here comes your media and marketing. You know, this project's being hyped up and you know what's going on. And you've got crew out there that now all of a sudden your crew's excited. It's a new product, it's a new challenge and everything. And then it's go time. So we like that. We like that that speed. We like that, that feeling. We like to be able to challenge ourselves to continually get better at everything we do. That makes sense. That helps with retention. Mm-hmm. The people on the projects tell everyone. Yeah. Photos start leaking out every every yeah. direction. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. We've had a couple where we were like, wow, we didn't, <laughs> we didn't know that was out there. <laughs> what do you guys think of a social, social media? Do you guys do it? We haven't. Let me, our, part of our new marketing push and part of the new marketing plan, yeah. social media is being, is being very, very targeted. We don't, we haven't, we haven't gone after it and we haven't, we don't have anybody dedicated doing it right now. Like Craig would go walk a job site and then he would post some, some photos on, on LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. And then, and then I'd walk a job site and take some photos and I'd post them. And our project managers would take some pictures and send them to us and we'd post them. Our superintendent and our foreman would do the same. And you, you know, it, it, it was very, very relaxed, very non, non-pressured. And what we've learned over the last, I want to say two years, is our media presence needed a serious kick in the rear end to get moving. And hiring a marketing firm absolutely did that. So as, as stuff is rolling out, you can find us all over the place on, on Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn now. It's already starting to, starting to populate. We have dedicated people doing that. It's hard for myself to do that or for Craig to do that because we're so involved with everything else it's just it's not it's what's one on more mind. thing it's one, <laughs> exactly. more, it's one more thing and if you, if you don't do it naturally then it's a it's a struggle yeah yeah so I mean I heard you're an avid reader mm-hmm. what are you reading right now I'm actually reading who by Josh Smart again oh yeah and uh that's on the hr side for those that don't know right yeah 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 and then uh, i'm going through a couple other books but i've been on an audiobook kick so let me tell you what i've got because i'm in the middle of three of them so <laughs> that's I awesome i can't stay with just the one right you know yeah. I mean? so uh, i'm just starting the ride of a lifetime by, okay. by bob Iger. 
just finished off the greatest business. It's a Vern Hannes, greatest business decisions of all time. Sure. And going back through and looking at how to how to be a great leader. Gino Winkman. Yeah. Wickman, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wickman. EOS guy. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Now, you're reading Who again. How many times you read it? This will be my second time. Okay. Okay. What, what, what compelled you to pick it up again? I know, I know it's a classic. I actually was just at an event. I was just at a, a COO Alliance event with, with Joff Smart. He, he showed up and he, he put on an hour presentation. I got to spend a couple minutes asking questions, you know, back and forth and learned a bunch. And one of the things that popped out in my head was, man, over time, it's become more complicated than it needs to be. So I need to go back and simplify. So now back to the book <laughs> and I'm getting into it and getting into the, the hiring and oversimplifying and getting all rid of all these processes that built up. And I'm going through my analysis phase right now, looking at the scorecards again and saying, wow, this is so much, it's too much because I'm simplify it down. So he said something, he said something ingenious that I've heard before, but it yeah. didn't stick. Sure. Right? Now it's stuck. It, it's what do we have to do now that's hard? right? Is what you're trying to accomplish. What do we have to do now that's hard? So you don't want to make it too easy and you don't want to set everything softball. You, you really want an objective that you're going to hit. I mean, if you're going to set that goal and objective, it shouldn't be a softball. Mm-hmm. It, you want some softballs in there, but your primary goal and objective should be simple to explain, understandable, and hard to hit. So it spawned. I need to go back and read that book again. I mean, that could be, I mean, I guess he was talking about in the, the HR context, but I mean, mm-hmm. maybe it was just talking about it in general, right? I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. It applies much more to HR and, and business and scoring. Yeah. So, okay. No, that, that's compelling. What are some of the most impactful books you've ever read? I've ever read. Yeah. Uh, what stands out? I can visualize it. The only book that I have actually pulled over, the only audio book that I have actually pulled over mm-hmm. to take notes with, yeah, uh, never split the difference from Chris uh, Voss. Ah, Chris Voss on uh, negotiating. Yes, I've actually pulled over a couple times while listening to that book and actually said, "No, I got to write this down." And then I started, you know, obviously I signed up and I started receiving all of his uh, emails through Black Swan Group. Yeah, uh, he did a podcast with joe polish in the genius network yeah that is a phenomenal listen if you you can even find it on youtube it is phenomenal if i had to suggest one that that's one i would suggest i'm a big joe polish fan and mm-hmm. I, i've just recently been more exposed to chris Voss's stuff it sounds great like what he's talking about oh yeah oh yeah that's great now i know you have a retirement dream can you let us into that? Uh, uh, eventually, eventually, I'd I'd like to go down the coast and have a a, a gourmet fishing lodge, if you would, like a resort, a very small but focused resort style little restaurant lodge and, and fishing guide service in the, in the, on the Texas coast. Awesome, that's perfect. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I think just keep keep at it. There's some. We're in some pretty unsettling times right now. We've got a lot of employees that are really worried about a lot of things. First and foremost, keep your, keep your family and, your, and everybody around you safe. 
keep them healthy and make the right decisions. You, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make the decisions that are right for the business, but the business is made up of people. So make the right decisions about the people and the business will take care of itself. Everybody's got a lot of hard challenges right now and there's a lot of people hurting. So if you get, if you have the opportunity to help out, help out. Oh, thank you. Wise words. And I've learned a few new things and I love your story and I appreciate you sharing it. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you. I want to thank everyone for listening to Specify today. Also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. If you know anyone Anyone that would benefit from this episode, please pass it along. And finally, make sure you subscribe to hear upcoming episodes. Talk to you soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.